forgot to hit the button on the recorder. So I'm going to read that again. For neither is uncircumc neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now we're on record. <clears throat> Through the cross we die to sin and self. By faith we turn ourselves over to the living Christ and walk by the Spirit's guidance into a new life that is grounded in a new foundation and motivated by a new and eternal hope. Behold, all things are new, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, did you notice uh, that our new life that we have in Christ has totally different motivations than what we were before? And, you know, Paul's made a lot about people's motivations all through this, throughout this letter, what people are motivated by. And when, when, as he's closing out this letter, he's really, hammering, he's really hammering on the point that you can tell the genuineness of someone's faith, their, their Christianity as it's, it's the practical application of their Christianity, and their love or concern for their brothers and sisters in Christ. You can tell all that uh, by what they are motivated by. In other words, you can, you can see it. There's evidence of it, okay? There's, there's proof in the pudding, so to speak. And he, as he goes through, there's, if, and I know we've seen this, but there's, there's recurring themes and there's recurring messages all throughout the letter, all the way from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 6. <clears throat> and it becomes obvious that these are Paul's concerns because he keeps addressing them all throughout the message, all throughout the letter. And, you know, not only does he say this to the church and his churches in Galatia, but he's, he brings it up, he mentions it in several of the letters to the Gentile churches, Corinthians. Uh, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians. Um, in in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Now, wasn't circumcision a commandment of God at some point? Of course it was. So what is what is the point then for the Christian? For him to say... Circumcision and uncircumcision means nothing. What matters is keeping the commandments of God. And when you kind of read that there in First Corinthians, you're kind of th you're kind of left thinking, well, hey, wasn't that a command of God? But what's the point to be made there? There's there's a new creature, isn't there? Second Corinthians chapter five. There's a new creation. There's a new man. And that new man is neither Hebrew nor is he Gentile. His heritage might be those things. And that's fine. That that's okay if you're a Hebrew and and proud to be one. That's okay. That if if you're from the regions of Galatia, if you're if you're from Gaul, 
and and you 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 see that and you, you that's where you come from and and you're happy with that you know if you're proud of that that's fine but you're a christian and your identity is in Christ and because of that the new creature or the christian christians obey god in Christ meaning the commands for you and I are the commands of God in Jesus Christ. And that's what he means in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when he talks about what matters is keeping the commandments of God. The commandments for you and I are in Christ Jesus. Okay? In 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3, the Apostle John writes, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now who's he talking to here? He's talking to a bunch of Christians who are obeying God in Jesus Christ. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, whose word? The word of the Lord. In him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So what does it mean to walk after Jesus or walk in the same manner that he walked? To be obedient to him. To follow him. You, you know, if, if Christ is leading you and you're following him, it'd be kind of hard to, to, to walk right behind him if you weren't, you know, obeying him or, or following. You, you couldn't say, I'm following Christ if he's nowhere around. You know what I mean? I could, I could say... I'm following Wayne, but Wayne's going this way and I'm going that way. Somebody says, where are you going? Well, I'm following Wayne. Well, where's Wayne? I mean, that's, I mean that's, that's kind of the point. Again, in 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and listen carefully, His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, how does, how does our faith, how would you, uh, if, someone, if, if someone were to ask you, are you going to tell them my faith has overcome the world? And that person said, well, what do you mean by that? How would you explain that? We've already established in this book of Galatians, this letter that was written to the Galatian churches, 
that faith is what? Believing in God? Well, that's part of it. But faith is more than that, isn't it not? What is faith? Faith is the actions and the thoughts and the attitudes and the obedience that we are compelled to because of our belief. Does that make sense? In other words, your belief in God is so strong that it compels you to make certain decisions and choices, to say certain things, to not say certain things, to do certain things and not do other things, and to be obedient to the commands of God. That's faith. Otherwise, you just have a belief. Okay? So when, so when he says, when the Apostle John says that our faith has overcome the world, what's he saying? Right, and when we make the choices that he has assigned for us to make, when we say the things, do the things, go the places, don't go the places, that power, the power in that is stronger than all the forces of evil in the world. Now, does that not blow your mind? It blows my mind. And I think I'd really be astonished if I was more consistent in that. And actually, uh, if I was more consistent and followed through, there's no tell, there's no telling the uh, the impact. Do you agree with that? Who is the one that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. You'll notice that what he's talking about, he's he's touching on these identifiers, these markers that point to that person who is in a right relationship with God because of their obedience of faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Because we claim, we we hold on to the blood of Jesus. And how is that blood applied to our lives? When we are obedient to the gospel and are buried with him in baptism, that blood is applied to our lives, and we have faith in the working of God, Colossians chapter 2, that he's applying that blood to our lives. Not anything else. Not not circumcision. Not not, uh, aspects of an old law that has been fulfilled and done away with, 
been, it served its purpose, and it's been taken out of the way. For there are three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. See, when God applies the blood of Jesus to your life, he's cleansing you of your sins, past, present, and future, and he, you have the abiding gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, that keeps me, what? What is that indwelling gift of the activity of the Word of God? And he's keeping me in a right relationship with God because of what? Because the Word of God continually reminds me of what God's commandments are, what he expects, and I have this attitude of repentance. You agree with that? If we receive the testimony of men, remember, we've been talking about people's motivations. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. It doesn't matter what a man says. It only matters what God says. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. In other words, God... Jesus Christ is the final revelation from God, so you better listen, okay? Because he's not going to say anything else until Christ comes again. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. The message here is your relationship with God is only in Jesus Christ. And that's it. And that's been the whole theme throughout this, this entire book. <clears throat> I was reading uh, a, a commentary, and I know that's kind of dangerous sometimes, but this one's, this one's from B.W. Johnson, and he was referring to the portion of that last reading where he's talking about if we receive the witness of men. He says, we do receive human testimony. We have human testimony of many unimpeachable witnesses to the facts of the life of Christ, but we have also the greater witness of God. We have the Father's testimony on record, and we have it constantly repeated in this transforming grace over and over and over again. If we're partaking in his word. You, you see what I'm saying? If I'm partaking in that word daily, I can be reminded of God's love and God's forgiveness and God's helping hand. Okay? Everyone born again to a new life is a new demonstration of the power of God. You see, a lot of times we talk, or you hear folks say, or perhaps you said, you know, talking about, well, I witnessed to so-and-so, and they use that kind of, they, they use that language in there. But the, the power of God 
just a witness. Okay? In other words, that if so, here's the power of it. When someone reads the Word of God and they, they read about someone who is a new creature, and they read that, okay, and this is what God's saying, right? I'm going to make somebody new. I'm going to make them a new creature, okay? And then when they actually see that born out in somebody's life, it means God's telling the truth. It means God's just telling the truth. And, and you know what? I can rely on God's word. I can rely on God to tell me the truth. No matter what I see around me, no matter what someone else is saying, no, no matter what's going out there in the world, I can count on God to tell me the truth. And here's part of God's truth. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we also, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Remember what the Apostle John said, that our faith overcomes the world? And that doesn't mean sitting still and, and having this mental ascent that if I believe hard enough, you know, and... You know, if I, if I strain all my, my brain power and, you know, you see what I'm saying? When he's talking about faith that overcomes the world, it means taking God at his word. And when he says, I promise you I'm going to do this, and I promise that I need you to be in me and be obedient to me, and we're going out there and doing those things regardless of what we hear, regardless of what other people are saying, regardless of any of the difficulties that we might face, we keep doing the things of God because of our, our belief in His promises are compelling us to do that. Okay? And so when Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, and not only this, we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. See, when those things are developing in the life of the maturing Christian, the one who's growing spiritually, that becomes a witness to the world. It comes, it comes as a testimony. Everything's going nuts out here. Everything's going crazy. But those people over there, they keep praying and they keep worshiping and they keep being kind to other people and, and, and helping other people and... and uh, talking to them about the Lord. They haven't stopped doing that. That must mean something. That there is something about them that doesn't change. And that faith that over because that faith that overcomes the world doesn't change, it's a testimony to the world that God himself does not change. That God is still doing the things that he did yesterday and that he's going to do today and that he's going to keep doing tomorrow. 
The world learns about that through the Christian. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Galatians chapter 6. In verse 16, he says, And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Those who walk by this rule. The clear intent of the new birth is written throughout the New Testament. Death to sin leads to our agreement to walk in a new course of life according to the terms of a new covenant into which we entered with Christ at baptism. Paul has already elaborated this rule's cause and effect. He says, uh, as we've read before, that he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Uh, This course is not arbitrary. It's in keeping with God's original purpose for his creation to reflect the image of his creator as did Jesus who gave us the example. This radical change of lifestyle stands in opposition to those who would wear the crown but would not bear the cross. Um, In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse thir- starting in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Peace with the world. We've, we have peace, right? And that means everything's... And everybody's going to like us and all that kind of stuff. And you know, We have peace with God. Understand that biblical peace... When the New Testament talks about peace, and it is inner peace. Understand that. It is inner peace with inside of us. That peace comes from knowing that your two biggest problems have been solved, your, your death problem and your sin problem, okay? And that you are no longer an object of God's wrath. In, in which we formerly were an object of God's wrath. Whew. <laughs> you know what I mean? For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinance so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both. Reconciliation is available for everybody. In one body to God through the cross, by having put to death the enmity, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So when you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of God's household, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And that is so important because Paul has spent so much time in this Galatian letter trying to point out the fact that, look, I'm telling you what I'm telling you because I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ and this is what he told me to tell you. I'm not looking for anything else. I'm not looking for glory, praise, or anything else. I'm motivated by my obedience to Christ and my love for you to tell you what I'm saying. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And we miss that sometimes because we <clears throat> sometimes perhaps we fail to see what the peace of God is and what it means. Why is that? Take it for granted. And sometimes our definition of peace is not the same as God's. Would you agree with that? What do we do about that? In other words, sometimes when we think about being at peace, we what, what we have in our mind is what? Trouble-free. Trouble-free. Uh, everything, everything going smooth. I'm afraid that's not going to happen. How, how how much what what impact what significance would it have when when we more and more grow to understand the peace of God yeah we we change our attitude don't we our perspective changes Jesus says in John chapter 14 and verse 27 peace I leave with you my peace I give to you. I'm going to give it to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. See, he said your faith overcomes the world. And he said, I'm giving to you not as the world gives to you. <clears throat> there's an old phrase, I'm not going to use it because it's not probably politically correct anymore, but, you know, somebody gives you something and a few weeks later they come and take it back, you know. <clears throat> That's how the world gives. Jesus don't give that way. Sam, was that the first bell? Jesus gives to you and he keeps giving to you. He's going to give you some peace and it's okay to ask for seconds. Can I have some more of that? And he just keeps giving you peace.
But we have to be in God's word. We have to be obedient. We have to have the obedience of faith. Because that peace is the activity of the Holy Spirit. That's why he gave it to us. And so when Paul says there in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16, that's precisely what he means when he talks about those who would walk by this rule. A rule is a commandment, okay? We have the commandments of God in Jesus Christ. So walking by this rule means following after Christ, remaining in his word so that we might grow and come to understand the peace of God more and more. And that it become more and more important to us as we go along. Um, we're probably going to finish this thing up next week, but here's here's just kind of a uh, here's just kind of what we're we're going to be talking about. In verse seventeen, he says, "From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus." And we're going to we're going to kind of dive into this a little bit about what Paul means when he says that I bear the brand marks of Jesus. Okay? What he's talking about and how that fits into the to the rest of this or to this whole letter.